Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Did you know that we're officially back in a buyer's market? That's right. Even though interest rates continue to rise, they are causing prices to fall. So there's finally room for you to do regular real estate investor things that we couldn't do for so long, like gasp, negotiate, make lower offers, ask for sellers to cover some of your closing costs. So it's a really great time to buy in terms of being able to get a lower purchase price and being able to negotiate. So if you're looking for your first or next short-term rental, it's a perfect time to reach out to us at the short-term shop. Let our team of agents in any of our true vacation market destinations help you find the perfect investment. Jump on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected to get started. We are brokered by eXp Realty. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show. Today I've got a really cool guest. I've got Daniel Rustine. He has one existing book out about short-term rentals called Optimize Your BNB. He's got another one that's pre-sale slash coming out soon called Profitable Properties. A super cool story that we're going to hear from him today. So I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. How's it going, Daniel? It's going very well. Thanks for having me on. And, and I am glad to be on, especially because I read your book. I just finished it. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> It's um, doing, I read yours too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, it's uh, your your book is the only book, as far as I'm aware, uh, rated higher, rated higher with more reviews than mine. Oh. <laughs> I, I had that title for like three years, and then yours came out, and I was like, oh. Who is oh. this girl? <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, yeah, but yours. Let's let's talk about you for now. Let's, so oh, great. Tell us, tell us your story, uh, you know, how you got into short-term rental Airbnb investing and what you're doing now. I'll go start to finish and then I'll ask questions off of that. I'll, I started at Airbnb is where I kind of got started. Um, I, I was unemployed. I had a public accounting job. I quit that job and I was looking for other jobs. I was in San Francisco, the startup scene, exploring all the different startups and I, I didn't find it, but my roommate came in when I was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he said, Hey, have you heard of this company called Airbed and Breakfast? That was, that's what it was called for anyone super, super new. And I said, no. And he told me about it. And I thought, Oh, wow. That's like, as a guest, that's like, that clicks for me. I was like, that's cool. So I looked into the company. They actually had a job open for accountants. So I applied, got an interview. They said, thanks for coming in, but no thanks. I stayed in touch though, because I was like, oh, this is a cool company. Like, you know, it was a typical startup scene, open office, people riding around in scooters, free breakfast. I, I remember going, going in one time, I think it was a, I'll, to be, I'll say it was a Friday, though, honestly, it could have been a Monday or Tuesday. And I very clearly remember going into one of my interviews on the first time and, and some, somebody standing up from a desk, not talking to me, to looking at somebody else. It was the, the, the sun was out and he was like, Hey, do you want another beer? 
And I was like, what? <laughs> Who's he? Where? What's going on? Because I, I, I was working for a public accounting firm. So I was like, this was a very, I was wearing a suit. I was, you know, in a very professional office. So that kind of blew my mind. So I stayed in touch. And a few months later, there was a different job in the same department. And I interviewed, I interviewed, and I got the job. That was 2013. I left in 2016. During that time, I became a host of the living room in my couch, the same way that Airbnb got started in San Francisco. And I was working at the headquarters in San Francisco. Oh, There's actually a story with that because when it was all said and done, the city of San Francisco fined me $2,000 for listing the couch in my living room. (laughs) Really? Was that outside regulations or, or what was the cause of that? I mean, back then there probably weren't a lot of regulations, were there? Back then, there weren't a lot of regulations, but San Francisco was one of the first ones to regulate it, San Francisco and New York, because they were headquartered in San Francisco. And San Francisco is very small, and there's gentrification going on, and it's already expensive. And and Airbnb was in the middle of real estate and the rising, you know, short vacation rental real estate, local real estate was rising for long-term tenants. So they were like in the interesting spot. So they got a lot of heat Uh, for that. Yeah. And so- it was actually not even listed. The couch wasn't listed for like a year. And then I got this notice. I had it, I had it listed, but the calendar was blocked out. So no one could book. And then I got this notice and I was like, Oh no. So I, I had to pay actually, I I paid a thousand bucks. I got it down a thousand bucks, but I paid a thousand bucks for my inactive couch. Anyways. Well, how much does a couch make? Cause most, you know, we've never had anybody on the show who is that started, (laughs) like started at that point when it was still like renting, uh, couches and, and things. So how much does a couch make in San Francisco? Well, a lot. It, it got upwards of $140 a night. That was in Salesforce. That was just the, that was the big weekend. Normally though, it got a hundred dollars a night. That's wow. Now we didn't rent it out 30 nights of the month. We rented it out for like, you know, eight to 10, it covered cleaning, it covered utilities, some beer money, maybe a couple dinners. But it was quite, you know, I, I denied a lot of a lot of guests. It was just because of San Francisco. The, the, I was in a very desirable area, and okay. also keep in mind, you know, if you're a guest on my couch, you get to like hang out with me. Yeah, which is <laughs> like a perk, right? And I was working at Airbnb at the time, as I mentioned. So I wanted to. They were really encouraging employees to be hosts, and also I just wanted to host. I was interested in hosting, and so I had to, I had three roommates to convince. Eventually I convinced them and it worked out because once we started, we didn't stop. It was, it was quite popular. And then that was, so that was 2013, 14, 15, 16. I started, uh, I started the business that I work on now, which, uh, you know, online consulting, I help hosts, Airbnb hosts around the world make more money. I do that now. And I, and I also live in, I started that in 2016 and I live in Airbnbs as a guest. I started traveling. It's a, you know, I do it online. So I started traveling. It just kind of clicked for me one day. You know, I don't have to be in San Francisco. Why don't I travel? So I did. And I've been doing that for seven years now, uh, more than 2000 nights as a guest. And in last year, 2021, I purchased a Airbnb in Columbia internationally. And so that's been up and running for a year and a half. How's that going? It's going very well. I, you know, in, in 2023 and, and beyond the, I think the most important 
you know, back then you kind of Airbnb'd what you already had. You know, for example, the couch in my living room, maybe, you know, an in, in, an in-law unit, an extra home I already had. But nowadays, as you're very familiar with as a real estate agent, is people are starting their short-term rental operations from day one, from what market should I go to? What proper, what neighborhood should I buy in? What property should I buy for short-term rental? And so I went through that process for what I call the Belmonte penthouse. And I chose the market, the neighborhood, the micro neighborhood, which is you know more important. And then the house and everything, I went through the analysis and it's been doing um, very well. It, the nice thing about Medellin is there's no seasons. It's just all year round, one season, 70 degrees, you know, a little bit of rain. So I've been happy so far with that. Awesome. What So I see a lot of people ask about buying short-term rentals internationally. What was the process like from a financing and purchasing standpoint, purchasing in a different country? I can only speak to Colombia, but I think in general, um, it, it might be the same, but in Colombia, the, the, you know, the financial system isn't worked out as well as the U.S. financial system. So loans are an issue. As a foreigner, I'm, I'm not getting a loan there. They're not giving me a loan. I don't have credit history there. I you know, maybe can get a loan here, but I had to pay uh, or I you know, decided to pay for a, it's a cash deal. So what that means is more money up front, but no, you know, no mortgage, no monthly payment. That's that's probably the biggest difference. The other big difference is the the currency exchange. You know, I'm working in Colombian pesos now. Uh, they just elected a new president, and so the peso went from like 3,800 to like 4,500. So that's that's a concern um, that needs to be you know pretty front and center at, throughout the process. Okay, and what are there any? hurdles or things to keep in mind when you're managing a property like that remotely across, you know, international lines? Is there anything that you have to do differently than if you were doing it in the States? Hmm. It's a good question because I do, I do property management on a very small scale and I do it remotely, you know, not dissimilar to what you do except they're not my houses in the US. And so I'm trying to think of differences internationally. You know, I have to have a cleaner and the cleaner is kind of the property manager. Uh, I do have a, uh, I do a live check-in. So I have a kind of a concierge. I pay them to live check-in the guests. They act as another kind of emergency contact. That's probably the biggest difference is redundancies. So I, just in case things happen, I have like two concierges. You know, I have a, building a person at the building 24 seven. I have the cleaner uh, because when you're, you know, if you're, if I'm two hours away and you know, I can make something happen, but if I'm, you know, eight hour flight away, that's a big deal. That that's probably the biggest difference, but honestly, it's not, it's not much different than what I do with remotely managing properties in the U S even if they're in a different state. And keep in mind, I'm usually managing properties in the U S but I'm internationally. Okay. So that, well, that's good to know then. I think a lot of people will be interested to hear that, hey, it's not really that different managing something internationally than it is managing something domestically. So I think a lot of people will be encouraged by that. If English, I speak Spanish, but my concierges speak fluent English because my guests are English. So that's also, that's also a big difference. If you don't speak the local language or the locals speak English, that could be a hurdle as well. 
Oh yeah, definitely. I don't know why we didn't say that. That wasn't the first thing to be <laughs> most said. obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's talk about, so you used to work for Airbnb. We touched on that a little bit. Uh, your bio says you were fired from Airbnb. Um, tell us about that. <laughs> what, t- what tips and tricks did you pick up from working for Airbnb, if any, because, you know, you were on the accounting side, not like the customer service side or anything. So you probably don't have too many, um, like too specific, but I'm interested to hear what you learned. Yeah, it was back then. It was it was a much smaller company back then. I my starting class was eleven people, which at the time was huge. Usually, the starting classes was like every other week, um, two and three people. A year later, the starting class was like 150 people every single week. And when I worked there, there was actually a time where all the employees needed to do customer service. And additionally, really, yeah. So even so, even, you. Even the CEO. Really? Oh, is that like a, so everyone understands the customer service side of the business? Uh, that's the nice way to say it, or it was an out of necessity. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? okay. So it wasn't like, so you guys all could learn, you know, learn every position. Well, that's was- how they phrased it. That's how they phrased oh. it. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. But it was clear on the inside, like, oh, you don't have like enough people. I mean, did that make you want to bang your head against the wall? Because I can't think of anything I'd rather do less than do Airbnb customer service. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that much, to be honest. I mean, okay. you, you can imagine there was different departments that had a bigger role in that. And, you know, like engineers and finance people, they're not they weren't taking us much to like go do customer service. But at that time, there was the most interesting thing was there was a lot, you know, Superhost program rolled out when I was there. Uh, the instant book was a big issue that rolled out when I was there. And so as a host, an employee host, even though the company wanted more employee hosts, there wasn't many of us. And there wasn't many of us that was like actively doing it. A lot of them just had it up. And maybe when they went on vacation, they, but I was like actively doing it. I was actually interested. So that kind of got around the company. And when there was all of these different experiments they were doing, they would often call me in, which didn't bode well for me being an accountant, you know, it being out of my desk so much because when there was these, these experiments going on about, you know, they need input from hosts. I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds way more interesting than accounting. I'll do that. And so that got me out of my desk quite a bit, but I continued doing it anyways. And so as the years went on, you know, I was just, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I was a CPA and I, I like to say it wasn't that I was bad at my job, but the team was very high level. They seemed to actually really enjoy accounting. So they were there like all the time. There was this one weekend where I went on vacation, in fact, and I got into work at 7.45 in the morning. I usually got in work at like nine. And I, I showed up to a horror because when I got there, there was already like nine people in their desk and they appeared to have been in their desk you know, not just arriving. And so I asked somebody, I was like, Hey, when did you get in? And they're like, um, six I was like, how often do you do that? They're like every day. And so imagine my shock when I'm like, Oh my God, for the past year, I've been walking in at nine and you've been coming in at six. Um, so that probably didn't bode well either, but anyways, I, you know, uh, I was, so yeah, I was fired and then I was hired back. I was hired back in a different role, operations role. It was like a marketing type role. And the the and the reason why was because, you know, when when 
when I left the first time, there was this internal promotion where, hey, if you refer a host, we'll give you $500 and we'll give them $500. And when I heard that in one of the meetings, I was like, oh, I'm going to, that. that's like a lot of money. So I started focusing on doing that. And when I left, the program was 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 had also ended as well. And I ended up with $15,000 in Airbnb credit. I left the company with $15,000 in Airbnb credit related to this promotion. And it was three times higher than the next employee. And so some people took notice. And for that reason, someone reached out to me and they were like, hey, do you want to come back and work on this role? And I was like, yes. And so I did that role. And that role was um, boosting up the amount of hosts in the Bay Area. Okay. All that is is very interesting. So let, let's switch over from your roles at Airbnb to your management. So you manage how many properties? I manage five and five. never more than five. Never more than five. Why is that? Because that's not my specialty. It's not my main job. It's, okay. it's property management is is quite, you know, it can be quite intensive. Mm-hmm. And so I only, I started off when I, when I left Airbnb, one of the things I did first was start an Airbnb property management company, but I pivoted to what I do now. I just do five because I want, I need to have, I like to have my, my skin in the game. I like to have a variety, you know, I like to manage, um, small homes, big homes, nice homes, homes in the middle of nowhere, homes in cities. And I like to test out some of the, some of the marketing or just different theories I have test out on various listings to see how they're working out, um, different strategies. And so for that reason, I keep, uh, I keep, uh, some listings under management. Okay. And are they all, so you kind of said, you kind of touched on, they're all in different places, different sizes, any favorite location so far? Mm, no, not really. No. I mean, I don't have enough experience around the, uh, they're they're in uh, California and New York right now is where they're at. Okay, New York City or upstate? Uh, it's in the Bronx. I don't know if that okay. counts as, as yeah, New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's New York City. Okay. Um, and how do you how are you getting around? So I know New York City doesn't love short term rentals. Have you had any problems with that, or are you in a building that's allowed? I don't know the exact rules there. Maybe you do, but how's that going with the the regulations in New York? You know what? One of the nice things about doing property management is is I say, um, and this particular one, I'm doing it for a friend. And so I say, look, I'm not an expert on your rules. If, if you know, I'm managing your spot. Um, for him, it's he's he's in the Bronx, so I, I don't know if the rules are different there. I know we went through some kind of an issues at some point years ago, and then they kind of they haven't they I, we haven't had issues in like three years, but. My thing is, look, I, I can't uh, keep track of all the little nuances of the laws. So you're the owner, you're the host. Um, that's on you. I'll manage if it's if it's legal and uh, available. And so, you know, so, sorry to not give you a better answer there, but <laughs> no that's kind of how I handle that. You know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I probably would too if I was managing somewhere where there were rules. Like, you know, what you deal with that. I'm here to manage your property. You deal with the regulations. So, uh, I get it. I get it. So let's talk about optimizing your. B&B. Uh, so I've read your book. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have read it also. There it is. The Looking last good. book. When did that come out? That came out in 2017? 2018. 2018. Okay. I yeah. Suppose. I okay. wrote it in 2017. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. So why don't you hit us with the high points of, of that book? Like, you know, what exactly the premise is. So for those who haven't read it, you know, maybe they get an idea and they go pick it up. Yeah, sure. Optimize your BNB was, um, it was marketed to and written for intermediate and advanced Airbnb hosts in that I wasn't talking about, you know, how to set up a listing, how to, all the basics. I was just talking about strategies related to Airbnb. And back then, uh, a lot of the feedback I got was, hey, you introduced me to a bunch of these tools that I didn't know existed. So I was teaching about automation, messaging automation, pricing, digital guidebooks. And another aspect was how to optimize your actual listing on Airbnb. And while the book has done well, I, it hasn't done as well as I would like because I still see often the 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 default listing, how it looks online, is still kind of the same. You know, the titles are not optimized. the 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 description text, it's you know, it's typically this block description text, and not like bullet points like I recommend. The photos, you know, there's there's typically too many. They're not that nice. the The layout is all messed up. Um, you know, for example, something like super low hanging fruit. If you're looking on desktop as a guest, there's five photos that they show you one main one and four, four, you know, smaller ones, but they still show you that. And so I see oftentimes I see like, you know, three of those five photos are of the living room or of the same exact thing. And if you're a guest, you're like trying to get the most information as quickly as possible. And so it's, it's just these, it's just a hundred of these small optimizations that make your listing convert at a rate higher than your competition, which is a ranking factor that Airbnb is, is looking at. What's your conversion rate compared to your competition, your local competition? So what would you say an optimized headline is? If that's one of the big, I mean, because like pictures are obvious. You can look and say, man, okay, you need to get professional photos. This is not that, that's an easy fix. But what about, and I mean, an easy, it's easy to fix a headline too, but what would you say an automated, I mean, an automated optimized headline looks like? Well, I'll tell you, but first I want to backtrack a little bit to the photos. Getting professional photos is mostly easy. You can hire a professional photographer, clean up your home, but the nuanced part is the layout of the photos, the amount of photos, you know. Well, let's dive into that. Okay. You should have, if your home is one or two bedroom, you should have about 15 photos. If your home is two or three bedroom, you should have 20, 25 photos. You know, luxury homes, four bedroom homes should have 30 photos. Typically, they have double or triple that. I've optimized listing and, and you know, and part of the way, part of my knowledge comes from looking at listings all the time, all over the world. And oftentimes they have photo. And so, you know, I get, I get access to the listings as well. So I can see, all right, what are they doing and what results are they getting based on this strategy? It's like the ultimate AB test. And so oftentimes they have too many photos. A guest, you know, a heat map on a website, you know, 
above the fold, it's green and then it goes orange and red. Yeah. Think of that if the cover photo is at the top of the website. And then as you go down, it's it's the the last photo. As you go down, less, fewer and fewer FPGs, I call them, future potential guests are seeing those photos. So after the, you know, how many photos do you think with Instagram and social media, how many photos do you think a guest is actually going through on your listing? And, do you, and you know, if you've never been a guest, you might not realize that you, ha- that they have hundreds of listings to go through. Yeah. So we're trying to separate ourselves every step of the way. We're trying to separate ourselves from our competition. And part of that means is, Hey, in my, in my apartment, in my rental, I have four bedrooms. Three of them look kind of similar in the photos. I show two be- two bedrooms. Because that third and fourth bedroom that look like the second bedroom, that's not convincing the guest to book. That's doing nothing for the guest. That's only taking away some of the additional attention and excitement I can give them by showing them the other design aspects of the home. That makes sense. Yeah, because you know people do have a lot of listings they can sort through and you want to get your point across pretty quickly with like, hey, this is how great my house is. Th- these are the amenities. This is why this house is best for you without mm-hmm. making them have to sort through more pictures than they have to. Because I'm, I'm guilty of that. I just, uh, we went to somewhere on spring break and I did not look at all the pictures of every single property that I looked at because there were too many. So mm-hmm. that makes a lot. I think a lot of people put a lot of them because they want you to see every little thing, but that you're saying that might not be the best way to do it. Well, it, yeah, at this point, it's pretty conclusively not the best way to do it. <laughs> pretty conclusively, got it. But at the same time, you know, you're going to see a lot of very successful listings with 65 photos, and so it it goes back to a concept that that I have that's called one in a hundred. There's one in a hundred decisions that you're going to have to make as a short-term rental host. No no one individually is going to make you successful, but those hosts who apply the maximum amount of those decisions are the most successful ones. So title, should we go to that? Okay. Yeah. Let's jump to title. That's really, really good information on the, the photos. I know that just like kind of subliminally from being a guest, but I don't really think about having too many pictures. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about the rest of the, the parts of a listing. You know what I should do? Or maybe, we, I don't I don't know. I think you have a YouTube channel. Maybe we go on another time and I live optimize your listing. Okay. That's a, that's a great idea. If you're interested. Yeah. Let's, let's explore that later. All so, right. all right. We're on, we're on headline. Title. Headline. Okay. Yeah. And so a lot of the terms I use, by the way, this is, this is valid for all you know, booking platforms, including your short, your short-term rental direct booking website. I use the phrase, the terminology front, you know, made popular by Airbnb. So title headline is the same thing. The title is for your guest. That's the first thing. And the main thing to keep in mind. So what does that mean? It means that, and also keep in mind, you know, the guest process. So once they get there's on Airbnb, there's three pages, P1, P2, and P3. P1 is the page where you type in the location. There's no optimization to be done on that. P2 is with the map and P3 is where you can make the booking. Click click that red button, make a reservation or request. And so by the time the guest has already gotten to P3, which is where they see the title, even though on Airbnb, they see it on P2, but it's, it's unhighlighted. So I think a lot of guests probably missed that. They're already on your listing page when they see the title. So what have they already seen? Probably. They already probably know how many bedrooms and bathrooms you have. This is a common one, you know, four bedroom in, in downtown. Well, they probably, they almost, they almost, you know, 
I'm confident they probably already know it's four bedrooms. So you're not giving them any more information. Downtown, they probably already know that too. Other words, so I'm saying the no's first, what not to do. So other words, just generic words, you know, spacious, bright, modern, luxury, you know, all of these words, they're not, the guest has already seen the photos as well. So they've already decided for themselves if it's um, luxury space, if it's modern, et cetera. So what do we do instead? We add in order from left to right, the most, the amenities that the guest, the FPG wants the most to the least and the ones that you can't see from the photos. If you have a super cool hot tub on your balcony with a city view, that's probably your cover photo. That's great. So you wouldn't put hot tub as the first portion of your title because the guest already sees that. And what's great for the title is things that you can't really see. For for mine, I have an I have an in-home surround sound system. You can't see that from the photos. So I use the title for that. And if I didn't use the title for that, I would use the text, the summary text for that as, as bullet points. So in summary, do's for the title amenities that your guests want, not amenities that you think are cool, even though oftentimes they match up, whatever amenities the guest wants. If you're in a big city and parking is horrendous and you have a rooftop, but you also have parking and you're renting to families that say parking is probably, even though it's less sexy, parking is probably the amenity that you should highlight in that left portion. The, the first thing the guests will see, then they're going to read left to right and see the rest probably. Okay. So put the most important thing first because people read left to right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And put amenities, amenities in the title. Okay. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people make the mistake of like naming their property, something cutesy, and then using real estate in the title to say like Avery's cozy hideaway. And Mm -hmm. when they could be hitting important things that a guest might find important and might choose their property for, or might choose to look further rather than, you know, whatever cutesy name you named your property. So I'm a big I agree with that. You need to be using that for amenities and important things that the guests might be looking for rather than like, hey, look how cute I was when I named my property. Uh-huh. And if you name your property, make sure that if the guest searches that property online on Google, that you actually come up. There's been times right. where I've seen... Yeah, but you'd be surprised. There was one recent time I saw this branding name and I went to Google and it was like, it was it was a nursing home, but it was in the same city. So this host chose, oh, so, no. <laughs> you know, it, it, you get it right away. <laughs> so that's a bad idea. But in general, you shouldn't be branding your space unless you're doing direct bookings. You know, people, you know, Nike, Hilton, these are brand names because people associate a lot more with them because of the billions of dollars that these companies have spent on marketing. You know, if it's um, Avery's Cozy Chalet, no one's going to attribute anything to that, you know. I said the Belmonte penthouse, nobody's exactly attributing anything to that because I have, um, well, I think it sounds nice. First of all, that's subjective, but it has a penthouse in it. So that kind of communicates some information. And if you go online, you know, I've got the YouTube, the Twitter, the Instagram, the website, everything up there. So if someone wanted to take that to direct book, they would easily find me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So what about last piece before we move on to talking about your other book? Uh, what about the body of like the text of the listing? What do we do? What are some quick fixes for optimizing that? Bullet points. 
in a in a high hierarchy order, the most important to the least important. You don't want to repeat yourself. So if you've already, if you already showed a hot tub in the cover photo and hot tub in the title, you you don't also not need to put hot tub in the text. It's good things for the text are things that you can't see. Um, do you offer early check-in or late checkout luggage storage? Do you have 500 megabyte per second Wi-Fi? Do you have, uh, you know, a, you know, we might see a large TV, but is it an 85 inch screen TV? What are the things that you're providing to the guest? The guest wants to know, and I'm speaking as a guest now, the guest wants to know, all right, I've narrowed down my listings from the cover photo, probably and the map and the price. Now I want to know what am I getting for my money? It's 150 bucks. It's 200 bucks a night. What am I getting for that? I don't want to know. Welcome to, um, you know, whatever your brand name is, a four bedroom, four bathroom house located in downtown Nashville, really, really spacious area where you can, you can, you know, relax. You're going to love my apartment. There's that's, that's just like fluff text. It's useless. And it's very common. And it's, it's common to be in like a block text, you know, like how you would read a book. It's hard for a guest to process that. And also they just start reading it and they're like, this isn't telling me anything. It's not telling me anything. I'm paying a hundred, you know, two or 300 bucks for this reservation. What am I getting? I see the photos, but what else am I getting? If they're reading the text, by the way, that's text in my mind has kind of shifted importance. It's actually the most important part of your listing because if a guest is reading your text, they're just about to make a booking. They're just asking you, convince me a little more. You know, all these listings look pretty generic. I'm not sure which one to pick. So I'm going to read. That makes sense. Like they're, they've read the headline, they've looked at the photos and they're like, okay, this looks like somewhere I probably want to stay. Let me lastly go read through the entire description. Right? Yes. And just one last thing is that there's Airbnb is very different than the traditional marketing mindset, marketing copy, which is, you know, how we're going to sell things. You're selling your home. We're not selling your Airbnb like you might, um, you know, something else, most things. Airbnb, and what I mean by that is a lot of people try and build a story and and put the guest into the home and this and that. They just, it's not, everything's not built for that. They're not built for a guest to read, you know, a paragraph, every single listing. They're the, it's better built in my opinion, to give the guest very, to make it very clear what the guest is getting in exchange for the money they're paying. Okay. That's pretty straightforward. All right. So let's switch gears to your new book, Profitable Properties. So what is the, give us the kind of high level bird's eye view of this one and where they can pick it up. Profitable Properties was written more so for it's a it's a more inclusive book. It's 400 pages, so I try and take I'm I'm taking the host or the potential short-term rental host on everything from we start in in part 2 vacation rental property analysis. How do we find markets? How do we find micro neighborhoods? Not just neighborhoods, but a micro neighborhood is more important. It's it's where's the specific section within this neighborhood? And then how do we run the numbers on the property to make sure it makes sense? Of course we, yeah, but that's the most important thing in 2023 is like making the right decision on right. that. And I, in your book, you just, you'd um, have three categories. I forget what they are, but you have three categories for markets, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. I break them out slightly differently. I, I do two differences and I mm-hmm. do, I, 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 they're discovered markets and undiscovered markets. 
Discovered markets are are what they sound. They're very popular. They they mm-hmm. have a very high guest arrivals. There's a lot of guest arrivals coming, but there's okay. also a lot of supply because right. they're just well known markets. You know, if you mm-hmm. see a list online, the top ten most profitable markets, they're going to be discovered markets. Undiscovered markets have less guest arrivals, but there's oftentimes even less supply, even less short term rentals. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's where I kind of prefer the the, the undiscovered markets where they where you know you just you just have less competition basically. Mm-hmm. And Do there's you find also that in an undiscovered market, it's harder to find uh, the vendors that you need because there's less infrastructure there. So maybe you're having to train a cleaner how to turn a vacation rental rather than the cleaner already knows that because they're already cleaning vacation rentals. Like, is that more difficult? It's. It's market dependent. So it, okay. an undiscovered market doesn't necessarily, an undiscovered market doesn't necessarily mean that it's not like already somewhat of a vacation rental market. An undiscovered yeah, market sure, yeah. could be like, you know, something, some city that's in between like two, three, you know, large cities within two or three okay. hours. Okay. Makes no, so sense. it's not, it's not discovered on, on a grand stage, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Cat's not out of the bag yet. Exactly. Oh, yes. And there's also a, an important distinction is a supply and demand ratio okay. between size of homes. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I purchased the, the four-bedroom home is because I realized after running the numbers on how many how many um, of one-bedroom, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, four-bedroom, I realized that there was a sharp decrease in three- and four-bedroom homes, but the occupancy looked still very high. Additionally, my local market knowledge said that okay there's a lot of pretty nice uh bu- buildings going up and you know hotels and short-term rental buildings that are studios and one bedrooms maybe sometimes two bedrooms so there was going to be a glut of supply coming out of the market so i so that made the decision pretty easy for me okay i have to do a three or four or even five bedroom home that's where it's going to be and i and in fact i think that's probably the play in the future it doesn't it's not there's no economy of scales i don't think at least now for big projects to build, you know, three, four and five bedroom short-term rental places. That's still where I think that's where the, the, you know, the biggest opportunity will lie. So we, we move on from there and we, when you have problems with your listing, I I call, I have a three-step troubleshooting process. And so I, I also have laid out the book like this. So step one, when you're experiencing problems, make sure your online listing is optimized. We talked about that a little bit, but I go through that in the book in more detail. Number two is make sure that your hospitality is optimized. Your review rating. What is your review rating? Can you improve it? Okay. So if you're, you have an optimized listing that highly converts, if your reviews are good, then there's a third step that it has to be. And it's your pricing. If you're not happy with your occupancy, your listing is good. Your reviews are great your pricing is too high. So you just have to lower pricing, whether that's because you're in slow season, whether that's because you know the market is changing, you're in a bad market now, whatever that is, um, the, the third step is pricing. And so I go through, each of those have their own dedicated section. Pricing, as I'm sure you know, is a huge topic in short-term rental, especially with new hosts and existing hosts. They're, they're very confused. So I, I have a, a two-level process to hopefully you know introduce my strategy. And then I talk about direct bookings which is a hot topic and I think important for a lot of hosts. And I think it will get bigger as the years go on. I, I, I'm seeing a trend as well on the guest side. Guests are more interested in doing that, more comfortable with doing that. And then 
I and then the last part is how to rank number one on Airbnb. I have the top thirteen ranking factors that uh, that you know you want to focus on. Many of them are obvious. Some of them maybe not be. Okay, awesome. Sounds great. And so where can everybody pick this up? I know you said it's like on pre-sale now. So if people want to order this, where can they order it? Well, when does this, when will this come out roughly? We're about a five week lead time right now. Okay. It'll be released on April 19th. So it'll be live by the time this goes out. Okay. So Um, yeah. Where can they get it? Yeah. They can get the book on uh, anywhere online. Basically Amazon will be a big one. It'll be in, it'll be digital paperback, hardback, and depending on when this episode comes out, audio. I'll be recording the audio this time um, myself. That sounds very tedious. <laughs> Good luck. I, I wish you well <laughs> on that endeavor. Well, um, I hired someone last time and I saw you hired someone as well. I hired someone and I went through like, um, did you choose your your narrator? No, my publisher did all that. Oh, okay. BiggerPockets did all that. I, yeah, I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> So I self I self published. I'm an indie author. So I I chose him. So I did it on Amazon. I chose him. I listened to a bunch of people. I chose him, and I thought I chose someone good. And I thought I chose him because he had the most personality in his voice. I just looked at the reviews to be, you know, this is very bad because on Airbnb you're supposed to be looking at your reviews. I never looked at the reviews. I got so many. The reviews were good, but a lot of the reviews was like, oh, this guy, this narrator who chose was terrible. No personality, monotone. What? Yeah, I, I guess I chose the wrong person. And then a few of them were like, yeah, the author did the introduction, which I did one short part. He was like, he was great. He should have done the rest of it. So I was like, okay, well, I made a bad decision on that. So I don't want to make another bad decision. And some people said I did good, so I'll just do it. But yes, I agree. Super tedious. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it, you might say. Yeah, I, make yeah. It happen. I, I, I read the reviews like the first week or two the book came out, but I don't read them anymore because the, there's always going to be like one or two people who are just being a jerk for no reason. So I just don't read them anymore. Oh, your, your reviews are like sky high of all the, of all the Airbnb. Books. Well, thank you. I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we <laughs> are running out of time. So uh, if our listeners want to find you, follow you, connect with you, with you, all that stuff, where can they do that? You could just type in on Google, optimize my Airbnb and my my website and social media uh, will come up. You can interact with me on Instagram. I have a, a pretty active YouTube as well. Well, Daniel, thank you so, so much for your time, for coming on. And let's do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you.